0: So, Matt, do you know how many tickles it takes to make an octopus laugh?
1: Um, ten tickles. Son of a... It's
0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm good. Good. It's cold. It is cold. <laughs> but you know, not as cold as it could be. <laughs> we could be up north and and dying up there. That's terrible. Um we did have some big news though. Um we have just crossed the 1 million downloads mark and we are blown away. Yeah, it's that is incredible. That means that
1: somewhere somebody Wanted to listen to what we had to say a million times. Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> they they enjoy our breed of bovine scatology somewhere. Um, but because of that, we wanted to do something for you guys. So we're going to work out the details on a giveaway. Um, we'll post in the different social media areas um, when we figure out the details We'll post those there. So if you're not in our social media groups, either Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, join one of those so you can get in on the giveaway. Um, It's just we can't believe it. It's just crazy. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, you know, for uh, for enjoying the show. Yeah. Um, So that's all we really have for an intro today. So let's get into it. Matt. What are we talking about tonight, brother?
1: Okay. So, tonight, we are going to be talking about something that has intrigued Adam for years. Oh, yes. And when I got into it, it it intrigued me, too. (laughs) I mean, it is truly a, a mysterious occurrence that there still is not a really good explanation for. So, on March 13, 1997, thousands of people witnessed a V-shaped formation of lights moving across the evening sky in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, moving slowly but never breaking away, the lights appeared to some as being a part of a large triangular craft, estimated by some to be as large as a mile wide. Think about that. It traveled low across the city, and the government would dismiss the reports, leaving those who saw the lights asking for answers. So, tonight, Adam and I delve into the mystery of the Phoenix Lights.
0: Yeah, buddy. I love this case. (laughs) I I just love it.
1: (laughs) I mean, this... I don't know this. This just it blew me away that I didn't know more mm-hmm. about this already, but I did not. I mean, I I I had a an inkling of what it was, but when Adam suggested this as a topic and I started looking into it, man, I was amazed. Yeah, I, I mean, I was amazed at the information that was available, but the more I dug, you know, and
0: the more more we found out, I, I mean, I just I couldn't believe it. Right. And you know, see, I've read about it and seen documentaries and stuff about it for years and it always intrigued me. And like we do with a lot of topics, I'd use it as an excuse to dive even further into mm-hmm. the thing, you know. Yeah. And I could not believe some of the stuff that I didn't know about it already that we had to dive deep to find, right. you know. But believe it or not, there's not a lot written down. Most of it is Yeah you know, interviews and documentaries and stuff like that, they, I, I suggest we, we get a movement going to write more of this down. So, yeah. so I it, mean, it's there.
1: I mean, you can, you can, you can find the book, you know, the Phoenix lights, um, which is, which is written from uh, one person's perspective, right? You know, essentially, but it includes, you know, a, a lot of the eyewitness accounts, um, and it and it gives you a really good timeline of what happened when the events that led up to it and the things that have happened after. Um, but it it doesn't encompass everything. And so we we tried to do a general scraping of uh, of, of everything that occurred from. All the different levels from the government level, from the investigators level, from the the general public, um, so that we could present this in a way where you could feel the just the enormity
0: of this event. Right. The graveyard notes edition. That's right. Yeah,
1: We dig deep in spots. It's
0: like like you jab your finger in
1: the ground every once in a while. And
0: and see, the thing is, you know, we compile so much uh, as far as notes and research that we do, but then we've got to trim it down into, you know, the hour and a half or so between an hour and two hours because... Matt and I have ADD, and our attention span it just isn't what it used to be. Right, we're not um, we're not
1: going to put out the the Lord of the Rings, you <laughs> right? Know, but it, it's going to be more like you know the novella
0: of right. the Rings. <laughs> so you know we try to trim it down, and we may leave some stuff out, but we try to hit the the high points and the the pertinent topics of it, and give you enough that if you want to go look more up and dive into it deeper, you'll yeah. know where to find it. We we'll give you the links to find it. You know that that's our job that's right is to intrigue you to get you to go look it up so we can start a conversation about it yeah, um, and one of the things that Matt and I found out is that this was not just one day that it right. happened, there was some stuff leading up to that so matt one one big
1: day, but there there were there were things that were occurring years prior. Leading up to this event. So let's go back to 1995.
0: That was a good year.
1: That was a good year. It was a pretty good year for me too. Um, Dr. Lynn Kitai and her husband witnessed three amber orbs hovering over a private desert area about a hundred yards from their home in Arizona. Now, Dr. Kitai describes the orbs as being in a triangular formation, each estimated to be about three to six feet in diameter. Now, at the time, Dr. Kitai recalls the lights being very soothing and mesmerizing. So she wasn't afraid. She was curious, but she she never once said, you know, she felt like there was something there that was harmful, but it was intelligent. So now she was able to photograph the lights that night. Now, understand we're talking about nineteen ninety five. So, you know, even though the cameras were really good, we're not talking about high def digital photography.
0: Right. Some I mean, of you you're probably talking about thirty
1: five millimeter camera.
0: Right. And some of you probably weren't alive then right. or That's were right. very, very young, <laughs> so you don't remember how bad the uh the photo quality was then that's right, so you know she's not she's not talking about using one of those little Kodak quick cams, you
1: know, the little cardboard camera, but I mean you know a, a, even a quality thirty five millimeter camera had its limitations sure you know not not everybody had you know a a professional camera lantern mm-hmm. to, you know with a telephoto lens to take a picture of something a hundred yards away right. at night right.
0: You know, it's another thing. Man, that's hard now with the digital cameras that we got at night.
1: You know, unless you've got professional quality equipment, you're not getting that. Right. Okay. Um, But she did photograph them that night. And, you know, it, 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 it intrigued her. You know, she talked to her husband about it. You know, they were like, that was really, really weird. And that was it. Until January 22nd, 1997. Now, Dr. Kitai noticed, again, three amber orbs, this time more in a linear formation. Now, she immediately recalled the lights from two years prior. Now, although, although they were not triangular this time, she felt that they were the same as the ones from 1995. Now, the next night, this is January 23rd, the lights appeared again. Now, this time, they were in front of South Mountain. Now, Kitai was able to get another picture, but this time, as she began to snap the photo, another six lights appeared in a much wider span. Now, she went to call and report the lights, and as she did that, the lights disappeared. Typical. Yeah. Now, she called the Arizona Republic newspaper in hopes that they would send a reporter to investigate. The next day, she called back. When she asked the operator if anyone had called about the lights, the operator said no. Now, Dr. Ketai knew that she had called, but the operator recommended that she call the nearby Luke Air Force Base to see if they had any maneuvers in the area that night or anything at all.
0: Keep all these names in mind as Matt goes through them. Keep these names in mind. (laughs) Yeah, you got to make a list. South Mountain, Luke Air Force Base, and Dr. Ketai. That's
1: right. They all come up again. So she thought that's a pretty good idea. So she calls the Air Force Base. Now, now according to, to Dr. Kitai, when she asked about the lights, the lieutenant she spoke to became defensive, saying that they had nothing to do with them. Now, the lieutenant at that point recommended calling Sky Harbor Airport.
0: Hey, go over there. Hey, hey, (laughs) hey, go over there. Go talk to them. No, no, no. Go talk talk to
1: them. It's funny because when when you listen to the interviews with Lynn Keetai, she says, you know, they immediately have an attitude when she calls the Air Force Base. And they're like, well, we had nothing to do with it. She wasn't asking if they had anything to do with it yet. She was just asking about the lights. And that was the response. So, I don't know. That tells me either, one, you had something to do with it and you don't want to tell, or two, other people have been calling you about the lights.
0: Yep. And you're trying to brush it off. And you're just
1: trying to brush it off. Right. So now, Sky Harbor Airport confirmed that at 8 p.m., the three lights were visualized, but did not show up on radar. And again, at 8.30 p.m., the six lights appeared, but again- they didn 't show up on radar, so things were quiet for a little a little while longer right until the night of March thirteenth
0: right, and on the night of March thirteenth things started popping again, as the cool kids say um, <laughs> do they say that I don't know I'm not cool <laughs> i I'm just assuming uh, I've watched a little t v and I've heard people say that so um but again these lights were seen. Now, I'm going to read you the kind of progression of how this unfolded, and then we'll come back to everything and kind of expand on it. But this is a report that was given to not only MUFON, but UFO Reporting Network and all that. So this is the official report. A sighting was from one of the first sightings was from a former police officer in Paulden, Arizona. He had just left his home at approximately 8:15 p.m. and was driving north when he looked out the driver's window of his car to the west and witnessed a cluster of five reddish or orange lights. The formation consisted of four lights together with a fifth light seemingly trailing the other four. Each of the individual lights in the formation appeared to the witness to consist of two separate point sources of orange light. The witness immediately returned to his home, obtained a pair of binoculars, and watched as the lights disappeared over the horizon to the south. He watched the lights for an estimated two minutes and reported that they made no sound that he could discern from his vantage point on the ground. Now, within a matter of minutes of these first sightings, a, quote, blitz of telephone reports began pouring in to the National UFO Reporting Center, to other UFO organizations, to law enforcement offices, to news media offices, and to the Luke Air Force Base. They were submitted from Chino Valley, Prescott, Prescott Valley, Dewey, Cordes Junction, Cave Creek, and many other communities to the north and to the west of Phoenix. Now, one group of three witnesses located just north of Phoenix, reported seeing a huge wedge-shaped craft with five lights on its ventral surface pass overhead with an eerie gliding type of flight. It coursed to the south and passed between two mountain peaks to the south. The witness emphasized how huge the object was, blocking out up to 70 to 90 percent of the sky that they were looking at. Now, a second group of witnesses, a mother and four daughters near the intersection of Indian School Road and 7th Avenue, were shocked to witness an object shaped somewhat like what they call sergeant's stripes approach from over Camelback Mountain to the north. They report that it stopped directly above them where it hovered for an estimated five minutes. They described how it filled up at least 30 to 40 percent of the sky and how it exhibited a faint glow along its trailing edge. The witnesses felt they could see individual features on the ventral surface of the object, and they were certain that they were looking at a very large, solid object. Not smaller objects, but one large object that had these lights on it. Now, it's known that at least one object continued generally to the south and the southeast, passing over the communities of Scottsdale, Glendale, and Gilbert one of the witnesses in Scottsdale was a former airline pilot with about 13,000 hours of flight time. Now He reported seeing the object execute a distinct turn as it approached his position on the ground. He noted that he witnessed many lights on the object as it approached him, but the number of the lights appeared to diminish as it got closer to overhead. Many other witnesses in those communities reported seeing the object pass overhead as it made its way toward the mountains to the south of Phoenix. Other sightings occurred shortly afterward along Interstate 10 in the vicinity of Casa Grande. One family of five was driving from Tucson to Phoenix and reported that the object passed over their station wagon. And it was so large that they could see one wingtip out of one side of the car and the other wingtip Out of the other side, they estimated that they were driving toward Phoenix at approximately 80 miles an hour. And they remained underneath the object for between one to two minutes as it moved in the opposite direction. That is a big frickin craft and one that's moving slowly, Yep, moving slowly. And they were moving at 80 miles an hour.
1: It's like that scene at the beginning of Star Wars where they're going under the Star Destroyer and mm-hmm. it just keeps going and going yep. and going.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Um, now, one of the more intriguing reports was submitted by a young man who claimed to be an, an airman in the Air Force stationed at Luke Air Force Base, which was located to the west of Phoenix. Um, he telephoned the National UFO Reporting Center at 3.20 a.m. on Friday. This was about eight hours after the sightings of the previous night and reported that two USAF F-16 fighters had been scrambled from Luke Air Force Base and had intercepted one of the objects. Although the presence of F-15s could not be confirmed, the airmen provided detailed information which proved to be highly accurate based on what the investigators would reconstruct from the witnesses over subsequent weeks and months. Two days After his first telephone call, the airman called to report that he had just been informed by his commander that he was being transferred to an assignment in Greenland. Fishy, huh? (laughs) So He uh, has never been heard from again since that telephone call. Most of the controversy that arose from the incident centers around a cluster of lights that were seen and videotaped to the south of Phoenix between 9.30 and 10 p.m. on the same night as the other sightings. In May 1997, the Public Affairs Office of Luke Air Force Base announced that their personnel had investigated these lights and had established that they were flares launched from an A-10 Warthog aircraft over the Gila Bend firing range at approximately 10 p.m. Now, think about that. That's fine. We'll talk about this a little more. That's fine that, okay, they launched these flares at 10 That doesn't explain the sightings two hours earlier. Right. And another interesting aspect that we'll talk about here as well is that there was not much coverage of these sightings in the media. Yeah, virtually none. Right. So on that note, Matt, let's talk about what happened afterward, after these sightings had taken place. So after these sightings,
1: you know, the... The witnesses began to to come forward and and explain their stories and, and explain you know what they saw and and given descriptions and one of one of the people involved in one of the documentaries that Adam and I watched was a lady named Valerie Nanaman and she was a nine one one operator that was on duty that night when the call started coming in now. Valerie says that the calls consistently described the lights as a V-shaped formation, some saying they were actually able to make out uh, a physical craft. Okay. Now, so the next day, she picked up the newspaper to see what had been reported about it and couldn't find anything. She found a, a very brief article buried in a local newspaper with a quote from a nine one one spokesperson, who was quoted as saying that the nine one one call center received very few calls about the phenomenon. <laughs> okay, now she knew this was not true. She was there. Right. She knew the calls were coming in one she after was
0: another, answering the stupid phones herself.
1: Yeah, and and she said, "I have never had any experience like this in the twenty four years I spent as a nine one one operator." Right. And she said they they just kept coming and coming. so that night when she got to work, this would be the night of March 14th, Mm -hmm. she asked her supervisor, why did they say this? And the only answer the supervisor had was, I don't know why they did that, because they both knew that that wasn't the case.
0: Right. Which sounds like they didn't actually talk to anybody at the 911 operating center. That's right. They just made it up. They just made it up. So-
1: You know, what these people saw, it it was eerily similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, the descriptions are so similar. I mean, you know, we've seen stories like this before where a dozen eyewitnesses will describe something and it sounds like all of them saw something totally different. Right. Okay. Not in this case. And we're not talking about dozens. We're talking about thousands. Right. Thousands of eyewitnesses. Now, one, uh, Mike Fortson, he reported that according to pilots that he was friends with, when they leave the airport, okay, we're talking about Sky Harbor, which is right there in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. When they leave the airport and they take um, the left turn after takeoff to head north toward the Salt River, their altitude is less than 3,000 feet. Now, according to Fortson, the object he saw went underneath a plane, putting it extremely close to the ground. Now, 3,000 feet sounds like a lot, and it is. But let me give you a frame of reference. So the Empire State Building is 1,454 feet from the ground to the tip,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so roughly half. Of 3,000 feet. Now, if you're standing on the ground, you can see the tip of the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you're at the top, you can see stuff at the bottom. Now, you may not be able to make out details, but you can go, hey, there's a person. Hey, there's a car. Okay? So, somewhere between that and, you know, twice that, Mm -hmm. this object is here. Okay? Okay? If you see a plane flying overhead at less than 3,000 feet, you can usually read the the company name on the side of the plane. And you're probably going
0: to be a little nervous, too. That's right. It shouldn't be I mean, that un- low.
1: Unless you live by the airport, You know, you're not seeing planes fly that low, which brings up another point that we'll get at later. If you live that close to the dadgum airport, you're used to seeing lights and planes in the sky. You would know what it looks like and you would be able to tell that's not a plane.
0: These are landing lights, navigation lights, something like that.
1: Right. So, you know, to, to, to play on what Adam had talked about in the report. The witnesses described the five lights in a triangular formation with two lights trailing behind. Now, this is consistent with what Lynn Keetai saw on January 23rd, earlier that year. Now, another witness named George Judson would estimate the object, as Adam said, as large as a mile wide. Now, Mike Fortson, who we talked about earlier, he agrees, now he says that he'd he did this little field size, you know, scale dealio where he uh, he said he he could see the nose of the craft and he put his hand up where the nose was and then stretched his hand out to the end, and he said it was at least thirty inches, which by his estimation would put it about a mile wide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so. Yeah. A, a mile wide, anything in the air.
0: Yeah, we don't have the ability we, we, to <laughs> we fly can't, something that hard. Put something large.
1: that big up in the sky. I mean, we can put some pretty big stuff up in the air, but nothing that's a mile
0: wide. At least nothing that we know of. Yeah, but so as just to interject real quick, because people are probably wondering how there were thousands of people who saw this. Well, keep in mind there were thousands of people outside looking up because they were looking to see if they could see the Hale-Bopp comet that night right right so that's why we have so many people outside looking up with cameras binoculars telescopes whatever so figured we mentioned thousands of witnesses that's why
1: yeah and and along with this this aftermath came the idea that I saw this. I, I can't afford to tell anybody that I saw it. So commercial airline pilots were were giving interviews anonymously describing what they saw while they were in the air.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, one commercial airline pilot interviewed um said that initially it appeared to be multiple aircraft flying in a VIC, which is a V formation. Now, according to him There were there was no other relative movement said, you know, the lights were together. They weren't separating. They weren't coming together. And, And planes flying in a formation would do that. They can't stay perfectly, you know, equidistant from one
0: another. Right. There'd be some movement relative to the other one. He
1: also says that they wouldn't be flying this formation at night and he didn't see any other warning or signal lights. To give the other aircraft indicator of how close they truly were, mm-hmm. I mean you got to think about that. I mean radar only goes so far if I'm going to fly within you know a hundred to two hundred feet of another aircraft, I need to be able to see them
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know to know sure. how close I really am um but so he said this this particular pilot said they wouldn't have been
0: doing that well no and and the planes you see you'll see two or three different color lights on them. You'll see like red, green, and white. Mm -hmm. And that, just like on a boat, is to indicate which side of the plane you're looking at. So you know whether it's coming or going. Right. You know, red is on the right side, green is on the left side. If I'm wrong on that, I'm sorry, I'm just giving an example. (laughs) But you'll know that one color means I'm facing its right side. The other color means I'm facing its left side. So these planes would not have one color light just on one spot of the plane. Because it would be dangerous and could cause major accidents.
1: Right. So over the next few months, um, investigators would gather to try to interview witnesses and and search for more answers. Now, in an attempt to get a political, uh, a public official on board, reporters went to City Hall and tried to corner someone. Now, the reporter that went would meet Councilwoman Frances Barwood. I like her. Yeah.
0: She, I she's, like her. She's
1: amazing. She's tenacious, to say the least. hmm But at the time, she was unaware of the incident. Like we said, this was not covered on local news, in the newspaper. The media didn't touch it. Right. Okay? So she asked the reporter to explain what light she was talking about. The reporter told Barwood, That the event took place on March thirteenth, and that when the city officials were questioned, their reply was, "We don't have UFOs over Phoenix." They didn't ask about Mm UFOs; they asked about the lights. What were the lights? Thinking there, there's got to be a plausible explanation. Sure,
0: there's got to be. We just want the city to tell us, right? Some military explanation or something.
1: Yeah. So you know, if I come to Adam and I go. Hey, what is this down the hall? I don't have no ghosts here. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't ask you about ghosts. Right. Okay. That's kind of their reaction here. So that immediately puts these reporters on alert, like, but but wait, what, you, what do you know about this? Mm-hmm. Stuff? So, so thinking that that was a really strange response and seeing as how no one had mentioned UFOs. Barwood would enter the televised city council meeting and ask during session if anyone was looking into the reports of the lights. Now, her question was met with silence. Just like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then another councilman made a joke and they moved on.
0: And that was it it was a, the weirdest thing to watch that yeah that thing cuz you can go find that yeah, and it's it like it was televised you can you can watch it and and she the look on her face when that happened she's like oh, oh, okay and okay. just kind of smiled and said thanks and they literally just moved right on didn't answer it at all and again she's not asking about ufo's right
1: she's only asking about Hey, there were some lights reported by our citizens above the city on March thirteenth. Does anybody
0: have an answer? Can somebody look into it?
1: Yeah, anything? Nothing? Crickets. Mm-hmm. So, so now, obviously, she is she's really peaked now because this this just this was way out of the ordinary, right? And later, Barwood would say that um one of the city assistant city managers would approach her in private and say you shouldn't have asked that question in session and she said why so because you know the mayor is he's not he's not on board with this um they've given a statement they're done with it and nobody here is going to touch it with a ten-foot pole so that meant that Francis Barwood was going home to find her 10-foot pole. Sure. Because she was going to poke at this bear. Absolutely. So since the city officials really just wanted the story to go away, if Frances Barwood was going to investigate further, she was going to do it on her own. So she was made fun of in the press, you know, comics, you know, joking articles with aliens and things like that. But it didn't slow her down. Barwood said that her answer machine at her office filled up, and then callers would call other city council members and leave messages for her at their office. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, she really opened up the floodgates here. She estimates that she received several thousand phone calls, and over the next several months, Francis Barwood would return those calls discussing the Phoenix Lights with over 700 people. Now, really, she was getting nowhere fast. I mean, she was she was talking to, to, to citizens, she was talking to eyewitnesses, but she really wasn't making any headway. So, Barwood appealed to Senator John McCain, who she says, up until this point, she had a pretty good relationship with. And yes, this is the Senator John McCain that we all know. Mm-hmm. So finally, after just being tired of being bothered with this, Senator McCain wrote a letter calling Barwood a constituent, not a council person.
0: Elected official. Not an
1: elected official, a constituent that was concerned about some lights that were seen over the city on March 13th. Now, that letter um, went to the National Archives. But Barwood would later learn that letters sent to the archives are not answered.
0: Mm -hmm. They are filed. I'm just about to say, you know what that means? That means (laughs) nothing comes of it. it. They send it there and basically bury it. So they never have to deal with it again. But they can say, oh, I answered that.
1: That's right. So that was the whole point is, you know, this is how, you know, a, a politician can get something off their desk. You know, they write a letter and they submit it to the archives, meaning I have addressed it. And this is what I've yeah. done.
0: Now we're case closed.
1: It's done. Yeah, it's done. It's, it's off their docket. And and they've done nothing. Mm-hmm. But this is how they can do that.
0: Ah, politics.
1: You know, and, and Barwood was upset because she felt like the tone of the letter was very sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And, and it was. And, and it was, you know, it was very demeaning to her being an elected public official um, to not even recognize that that's who brought the report to him.
0: Right, to just say it was a constituent, and yeah. no other yeah. no other talk about it,
1: and you know we're not we're not downing you know Senator McCain here, I mean you know you you're kind of between a rock and a hard place, you know, I understand. But I think in, in this case, he could have given it a little bit more due diligence. Sure. But this is just more evidence at the fact that the government really didn't want anything to do with this. No. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to discuss it. They didn't want to investigate it. And they surely didn't want to give anybody any kind of
0: answer. Right. And it that just kind of, it, it it gives you that nudge that maybe they know something Yeah. that they're not talking about when they do that. Because if they didn't know anything about it, don't you think they would say, hey, we're investigating this. We're going to right. look into it. But instead, they give you some kind of snarky answer and file it away and hope that you forget about it and thousands of other people forget about it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now, to make matters worse, Arizona Governor Fife Symington.
0: Oh, don't. <laughs> Just, I, I wish we didn't have to talk about this goober. This but what a man. name. I love
1: it, though. He called a press conference saying that he was going to report that there was finally an answer to the Phoenix Lights. Instead, he brought a staff member on stage dressed as an alien, and a ridiculous one at that. Okay? Now, Governor Symington would go on to dismiss the Lights as nothing more than military planes dropping flares.
0: (sighs) What a douche pickle. This guy... (laughs) He calls this meeting, right? And he says, we've caught the the person who perpetrated this event. Yeah. And yeah. he brings out a, a guy dressed in a big, big-headed alien suit. Oh, yeah. It's who's, ridiculous. Who's handcuffed. They've yeah. handcuffed this guy. And they walk him up there. And Fife, I'm not even going to say his last name, but old Fife says, You know, something to the effect of you can now rest assured that this won't happen again. And he goes to take the mask off. And when nobody in the audience there, the reporters or anything, really laughs or anything at it, you get these kind of weird reactions from him. Like, "Uh, are you really doing this, dude? He goes, this just proves that y'all are too serious. Yeah. Uh And pulls the I'm like, what a douche. Yeah. You know? You've got thousands of people in your city, in your state, and you're making fun of them. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna hold a press conference and make fun of them to the point of bringing out somebody dressed up in an eight. That's not a way to to do anything. Yeah. fife. Yeah,
1: but years later, after his retirement. Symington would recant that original statement. Mm-hmm. And he admitted, too, that he had witnessed the lights and that he did not believe it was flares. Now, Symington stated that in his opinion, he felt the lights were otherworldly. And that's a quote.
0: So glad of him to say it right. so long after, years, after the
1: fact. Years after he retired. Now, again, you know, playing devil's advocate here. He's in a pretty tough position because I guarantee you he was not the one that decided this was flares. He was told, oh, sure. This is what we're going to have to do. Now, he didn't have to bring, you know, a staff member out there dressed as a ridiculous alien. You don't need to be a douche pickle on TV. So that's on him. But the idea that this was indeed that the official statement from the government was gonna be that it was military plane flares. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, we'll we'll go with that for now.
0: So I'm not gonna let you get away with flares for long, no matter. <laughs> We're gonna talk about this. So,
1: so Francis Barwood would continue to push despite now higher government officials refusing to get involved. Now she reports that a few weeks after the Phoenix Lights incident. A man named Richard Curtis called Barwood at home to inform her that he had an excellent video of the event. Now, Curtis told her that he would make a copy of the video and send it to her. Now, soon after that conversation, Curtis reports that two men in black suits came to his home asking about the videotape. Men in what? Men in black. Mm. Yeah, that could be a whole nother show.
0: And I think it will be.
1: Curtis asked them if they were from Councilwoman Barnwood's office. The men told him, yes, they were. And they asked Curtis if he had made any copies. When he told him no, they said they would be more than happy to make the copies for him. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Sure, sure. Why not? Now, assuming that no one else would know of the tape's existence, Curtis handed it over only to never see the tape or the men again, mm-hmm. okay? So it even went so far as Curtis made a follow-up phone call to Barwood asking her what she thought of the tape. And she's like, I haven't seen it. When did you send it? And he said, well, I gave it to those two guys you sent to my house. She goes, what two guys?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so that's, that's when that story you know, came out. So, as strange as that may sound, Barwood would later call the phone company to request a service call because she was having trouble with her phone line. Now, Barwood claims that the serviceman began to act strange. He called her outside, refusing to enter her home. He told her that her phone had been tapped, but not at the house. At the central office, which meant it was a government act. Mm-hmm. The man left telling Barwood that she did not get that information from him. Right. So that if that's true, and believing that Richard Curtis's story is true, having her phone line tapped, and the fact that Curtis called her at home would have tipped somebody off that Richard Curtis had a videotape of this event. And then two men show up claiming to be from Barwood's office and took the tape Mm -hmm. and disappeared with it.
0: Thus, the best video evidence we would have of the event has disappeared into probably government files or into a fire.
1: Right. Now, it's real easy to boil that all down to conspiracy talk i mean it 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 sounds like that. it has the tone sure, of that sure, but you've got a respected city council person you know with a long history of of community service claiming all of this to be true. She is more than a incredible, than oh yeah and you know what in reality what does she have to lose
0: here right
1: i mean if she, if she keeps that information to herself you know if you know if she decides to come forward with it and it's phony or it's embellished or whatever i mean what what's she going to get i mean more ridicule right yeah you know a a spot on some youtube documentaries i mean yeah, I mean, people aren't getting rich on this thing. No,
0: there's no fame to come her way from any of this. So yeah, it's not I like mean, she she's risking a lot. That's though. what I'm
1: saying. You know, getting putting that out there. You know, she she's got. There's more negatives than positives for her to do that. Absolutely. So in, in her case, it makes the story believable to me that this is indeed what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, now. It, it does it does harken to the, the stories of uh, UFO sightings and then men in black, um, which, you know, like we said, we could do an entire show on that. Um, but, you know, if the government was tapping her phone line, if if they just wanted this to go away, getting a hold of that evidence, if it was good evidence at all was going to be key. Right, because they knew if it got in her hands, everybody was going to see
0: it. Yep, she it had was going to go. She
1: was going go, to go public with it. Sure, because again, what has she got to lose at this point? Right. She's already been ridiculed in the press. You know, she's been made fun of. She had the governor with this ridiculous press conference. She's had Senator John McCain blow her um, off. Blow her off. I mean, what's left? Yep. You know, I might as well just keep right on plugging. And uh, and get a hold of this tape, you knew that's what she was going to do. Yep. You know, if it looked authentic at all, you know, that was going to be made public.
0: Right. And, you know, you had mentioned that she said she had talked to 700 witnesses, right? She said that out of the 700 witnesses, all of them, barring one, was a very similar account. Mm-hmm. No matter where they lived in in her district, they were very similar accounts. And the only one that was different was (laughs) a kid who said they were planes. So a a a young kid. kid who said, no, they were planes. Every other person had a very similar account. And you don't get that out of most, if any, UFO sightings. Right. And... And that one story was the one that was published. Exactly. That's the one that the press and the government decided to go with. No, it was planes.
1: Let's put this in perspective. So I'm standing in my front yard with 699 people that work for Crayola. (laughs) And they all say, we're going to make a new color, match green grass. And I say, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. My grass is blue. No, no, no. It's it's green. 699 people say it's green. I say it's blue. And the next thing you know, Matt's blue grass is the new crayon. Yep. That is how this played out.
0: Right. Right. It, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. Now,
1: it's just like, Why? 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 Right. Uh, you know, you've got all these stories and you're going to pick that one. I'll tell you why. It's because that was the story
0: that they wanted to they wanted to put out there. Right. And so, I, I, something tells me that kid was told to say that, too. Yeah, why not? You know, he was told. Hey, don't you think it was plains,
1: kid? Yeah, here's what like you planes. say. I got a piece of bubble gum. I got some candy if you'll right. say Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Now, I told you, Matt, I wasn't going to let you get away with the flares comment for long. So let's discuss Bring the flares. All right. So the the report I've got a couple statements here from the US Air Force about what they said was happening with the flares. Now they the US Air Force explained that the second event was slow falling long burning LUU 2BB illumination flares that were dropped by a flight of 4 A-10 Warthog aircrafts on a training exercise at the Barry goldwater range at Luke Air Force Base. Now, according to this explanation, the flares would have been visible in Phoenix and appear to hover due to the rising heat from the burning flares, creating a balloon effect on the parachutes that they're dropped with, which would have slowed their descent. Mm -hmm. Now, the lights then appeared to wink out as they fell behind The Sierra Estrella Mountains, which is a a range to the southwest of Phoenix, that all these lights were being seen in front of. Now, a Maryland Air National Guard pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones, said in March 2007 that he was one of the ones that had flown during this mission and flown one of the aircrafts. Now, the squadron to which he belonged was, in fact, at Davis Air Force Base in Arizona on a training exercise at the time and flew training missions to the Barry Goldwater Range on the night in question, according to the Maryland Air National Guard. Now, here's the problem. Here, here's some of the issues that other people and I myself take with the explanation of flares. So, flares are meant to illuminate the ground below. Mm-hmm. That's the reason for these flares, is they drop them. They're called illumination flares for a reason, mm-hmm. so that pilots and troops can see the ground that they're fighting on. None of these lights that were seen were said to illuminate the ground at all. They were self-contained lights in the air.
1: Yeah, exactly. and. One eyewitness, uh, Tom Brunty, he described the lights as being perfectly round, glowing orange amber, seemingly made out of light. Now, another witness, George Judson, reported. Yeah, George Judson. Sounds a lot like George Judson.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) George
1: Judson. He said as the craft went directly above him, he was able to look up into the lights, and he said they had the appearance of a canister light like you'd have in your kitchen. With light swimming inside it. But all of them agree that these weren't lights that were like landing lights or anything mm-hmm. else because they didn't shine down. They weren't exactly. beams of light. You know, one said, you know, like, like, like Brunty said, it looked like they were made of the light. Right. You know, and, and, and you've all seen that. I mean, you know, you've seen something glowing, it's not emitting a lot of light, but, itself is is, is illuminated. Mm-hmm. You know, but it you you're not gonna use it
0: to kind of like light up a room. Embers in a fire pit. Yeah. You're it is lighting itself, but it it's not emitting light outside of the fire pit where you can see anything by it. Right. So you see the glowing but it doesn't illuminate anything. Yeah.
1: But as Adam said, those illumination flares are for exactly that.
0: Right. And a flare travels up and down well down it doesn't travel <laughs> right mostly down mostly down sometimes up but um it doesn't travel across doesn't travel horizon horizontally it's all vertically and these witnesses saw something traveling horizontally over them yeah a flare is going to emit smoke above mm-hmm. it from burning the potassium or whatever is in the flare Nobody describes seeing smoke. Another major point in all of this is every witness said that the lights looked as though they were hooked together and were traveling together in a line or an arc of some kind. And they didn't, you know, they were equidistant apart from each other. Now, flares are not going to move like that when flares travel. One may be raised a little higher than the other one. One move out to the left a little bit. So they're going to move yeah. away from each other or toward each other. Especially these
1: parachute flares that right. they're talking about so that they have a more slow controlled descent. I mean, we're out in the desert. I mean, the the wind is going to change and move. I mean, it's not perfectly still if you've ever been to the desert. You know, the, the the wind can really play havoc.
0: Yeah, especially so, at a mountain so where the what, updrafts and everything.
1: What do you think the, the chances are that, let's say, six parachute flares could all be released in a line at the same time, and they're all going to manage to stay equidistant from one another and fall at the exact same rate? Right. More so, they're going to be propelled by wind— To have them give the effect that they're moving across the sky instead of dropping down from the sky so that they actually pass over individuals looking up at them.
0: Right. And at that close a distance, somebody wouldn't go, hey, that looks like a candle flame. No kidding. You know?
1: Yeah. Or, hey, I can see smoke. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? um, Or, you know, as bright as these things are, the freaking parachute that's holding it up. Right. Now- If you don't believe this, you can do what I did. Amanda and I, we Googled videos of military flares at night. Mm -hmm. What would it look like? Okay. Now, I will admit out of the, I don't know, seven or eight different videos we watched, there was one that at least in the, I don't know, minute and a half that we watched it, Looked very similar to the images of the Phoenix lights. Okay. We watched it for about a minute and a half. That's how long it was. Okay. now, Now, the length of time that occurs where these people are seeing these lights and seeing them move and travel is hours. Right. You know, not minutes. Right. Hours. And over, you know... Somewhere between three and four hundred miles.
0: Mm-hmm. So flare's not going to do that. I'm sorry.
1: I, I, yeah, I want to see the flare or the flares that will hook together, stay lit, and travel three hundred
0: miles. Right. And a couple other things about if you if you want to just look at some of the video evidence that we've got you know, they said, well, okay, if they're flares or if they're just some other landing lights or whatever, every witness said those lights didn't glare. There was no glare from those lights, but every other light in the video that we see is glaring. The street lights, the lights in the buildings, the car lights, everything is glaring. Those lights did not glare. And there was a image analysis done of the light coming off of those lights versus all the other ones that they could see in the video, the lights, the Phoenix lights, when you take it in now, granted the optic technology in the nineties was not as good as it is now, but they ran it through the computer program and the red, blue, and green spectrums all had a perfect arc and they were all Uh, pretty much exactly the same red, blue, and green arc. They did the same thing to every other light in the video, and no other light replicated that same spectrum of light. So there was, it it was a jagged red, Mm -hmm. blue, and green, and none of them ever lined up like these lights did. So the spectral analysis came back and showed they were completely different than any light we have here. Yeah. So say what you will, but they did a flare that way, too. And the flare, very inconsistent in the red, blue, and green spectrum. So nothing like the light that is coming off of the, quote, Phoenix lights.
1: So, you know, it would appear that at least the government's official statement was picking the low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. Now, in my opinion, they were picking... The lowest hanging fruit that had broken off the tree and was lying rotting on the ground mm-hmm. for a few days. The ones the cows weren't even touched. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this was just, I don't, I don't even know if this was the easiest or simplest explanation. It was just the crappiest one that they could come up with to throw out there.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I get it. I mean, if if you're thinking, well, what else would be causing these lights in the sky? You know that that could that that could be the only thing they could come up they could come up with I don't know I mean maybe they maybe they came up with two dozen different explanations, and Flare's was the only one that was plausible, but well, that's bad
0: it's a real bad that's
1: all you can come up with right I mean you know you and it's not, you know it's not me and Adam sitting here shooting holes in this theory I mean people that have investigated this that witnessed it um that have studied it with you know. Far more depth than what Adam and I would even be willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they blast holes that you could drive a Mack truck through in this theory of flares.
0: Right. Well, and I saw at least one report where in the early two thousands they tried to settle this once and for all. So the military came out. Now this is you know maybe ten years or so after the the event, and. They said, okay, we're going to drop flares. We're going to drop nine flares in the same pattern and prove to you guys once and for all, this was flares. They could not replicate the pattern of the Phoenix lights at all with the flares. Yeah. From distances, you know, hundreds of yards away to a couple miles away, didn't look anything like the Phoenix lights. So... They kind of shot themselves in the foot there. If they wanted to say it was flares, and then they come out and drop the flares, and oh wait, no, uh, uh, uh maybe they use different flares. You know, h- how are you going to do that?
1: I would have, I would have at least maybe tried to put something together, yeah, that would work. Test Rig. it, and then go. Okay, we're going to throw this out there, and we're going to pretend that we had this mm-hmm. back in '95, and that's what everybody's. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I'd buy that more, you know, say, well, this was a new type of something we did. You know, we released it from a plane and, uh, you know, come up with something. Right. You know, and, and, and I'm talking about when you go back and go, eh, we're going to put this to bed. We're going to recreate it. And you couldn't do it. I'm like, look, if I was going to recreate something like this to get thousands of people to shut up, I'd get it right. Absolutely. I don't care what I was going to do. I would figure out a way. I would get it right. I don't care if I had to build the phoniest thing in the in the world. I'm, I'm gonna get this right. Right. And and I'm gonna get everybody to shut up.
0: Mm-hmm. And just, I, and
1: I, I can I can make up a mean backstory on how we had this thing and what it was used for and why we developed it. Yeah. Why not? They didn't do that.
0: No. They just dropped the flares and hoped. Yeah. You know. Let's hope this Uh, works. (laughs) So Matt had mentioned earlier that a bunch of commercial pilots had seen this. Well, private pilots had seen this, too. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if anybody out there has heard of this guy. You know, he's he's pretty not a very well-known guy. I didn't know know him at all. He's kind of, you know, low on the totem pole as far as, you know, celebrities and everything. But Kurt Russell um you know if you've heard of him yeah. you know you're you're way more in tune than a lot of us are cuz i've never heard of this guy um, but kurt russell was apparently one of the first pilots to report seeing the phoenix lights now he said quote i was flying with my son oliver to go see his girlfriend <laughs> that must be nice have your own private plane um he said and we were on approach now, I saw six lights over the airport in absolute uniform V-shape. Now, Oliver said to me, um, I was just looking at them. Now, now uh, are we okay? Who's, what lights are those? Whose are those? And he said, I, I kind of came out of that fog that I was in, kind of staring at him. And he said, I don't know what they are. And Oliver said again, are we okay? And he said, "Yeah, I'm. I'm going to call him in and report him." Now Russell, after that, said he didn't think much of the incident or anything at all. But several years later, his wife Goldie Hawn—don't know who she is either—was <laughs> um, watching a TV show, and he had walked in the door, and they were kind of talking about it and talking about this, you know, private pilot that reported it. And he goes, wait a minute, that was me. And he, <laughs> he said, says, China is here, Mr. Burton. Yeah. And he goes and looks back at his flight logs from that time. And sure enough, he's got it logged that he called it in and what he witnessed in his flight logs. Yeah. So if you don't believe me or Matt, maybe believe Kurt Russell, yeah. you know,
1: and go watch Big Trouble in Little China.
0: Yeah. You'll understand One of the best. All of <laughs> Matt's comments. I love it.
1: Yes. I love it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so now, now we've got celebrity eyewitnesses saying, yeah, I saw, this is what I saw and nobody, nobody knew what it was, right. you know, and it, it wasn't anything I'd ever seen before. And I mean, Kurt Russell's a pilot.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, so he didn't recognize He's it. logged hundreds of maybe thousands of hours himself.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, for, you know, somebody that is a pilot to not recognize what's going on you know it's even even more obscure but um we're 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 venturing into the idea now that okay so maybe it was the military but maybe it wasn't flares maybe this was just what they had to say because they were testing a top secret aircraft
0: right and we say ufo UFO does not mean extraterrestrial. UFO simply means unidentified flying object, or the UAP is the new term, the unidentified aerial phenomena. So it just means that we and most people can't pinpoint what it is. Doesn't mean it's alien. Doesn't mean anything like that. But like Matt said, it could be us, Mm -hmm. but- Wouldn't that be a dangerous, weird place to be testing new technology? Absolutely. Over a populated city like that? A huge city.
1: And a city in the middle of the desert. Right. I mean, you've got all this area that you could test all the top secret planes Mm -hmm. you want, and nobody... Is gonna
0: know any different? You think somebody was up there? Um, Bob, go left, no, left. <laughs> I said left, yeah. Bob. You're headed for the city. Quit going They're over. You're gonna Phoenix. see us, Bob. Turn left. <laughs> and Bob just flew it right over Phoenix.
1: Yeah, and and so I, I can't I can't even fathom that even with all the shady things that our military may do that. Putting an a, you know an experimental aircraft in the air over a huge city like Phoenix was something they would do. For one, if it was new, if it was top secret, why put it out there for public consumption? Right. Why even why why even let it go to where you have to answer the question?
0: Right. We didn't do that with the stealth bombers. You know, That's right. we kept, we had the stealth bombers and we kept it from the public for decades before people knew what it was.
1: That's right. And, and even, um, and, and this came up in a conversation I had with a gentleman earlier today. Um, I knew a fella a long time ago and he was an air traffic controller for the Air Force and he was stationed in Greenland. Now, this conversation started because he happened a, a television show on the military channel just happened to be on in the background, and they were talking about the SR seventy one Blackbird spy yep. plane, and the story said that the U.S. government used you know or the the military began using the SR seventy one in whatever year. Let's let I I don't remember, and I I didn't look it up, but it's let's say, you know, 1971. He laughed. And I was like, what's so funny? He said, cause I got out of the air force in like 68. He said, and I can remember knowing that we were supposed to have this new plane there. And he said, you know, of course up in Greenland said, it's, It's like Alaska, you know, you go through this spell where it's, it's like dusk all the time, you know, no real bright sunlight, no real dark night, just kind of this different, different levels of dusk. He said he came out of the tower, walked across the tarmac, and there was this plane. And if you don't know what an SR-71 Blackbird looks like, go look it up. It is, you know. If you if if you wanted to see an actual military plane that looked like a spaceship, this is it. Mm-hmm. If, if you know stealth bomber SR seventy one, they look like they're from outer
0: space, right?
1: And he said he saw that sucker sitting there, all black on that weird, you know, barely lit tarmac. And he said, "Boy, it was the spookiest thing I'd ever seen." Okay, he knew what it was, mm-hmm. and it still kind of freaked him out. Okay, so imagine seeing one in the sky. But here's the thing. The government didn't even admit to having it until three years later. Right. And they'd been using it all along. Nobody knew. There's no reports of people seeing an SR-71 prior to their use. Mm -hmm. You know, and that plane flew so high that you wouldn't see it from the ground unless you were looking at it, just happened to look at it with a telescope. So, again, that all leads to... Why Why would our military get so careless as to run a top secret or experimental aircraft across a heavily populated city on a night where everybody in town is looking up at some point, hoping to get a spot, hoping to get a shot of that hellbop bopp right. comet?
0: Because, you know, it's not just a freak event that people are outside. You know, the hellbop comet is there and there's people going to be looking for it. So that's not the time to be practicing anything. Yeah. You know? And if you're talking about an senior seventy one the they fly super fast, mm-hmm, and most everything that we have that we can get in the air, unless you're talking helicopter cannot fly that slowly, yeah and cannot hover right silently
1: right, and that was that were two two things that were Very, very common in everybody's report. Number one, that it was moving so slow, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: too slow to stay in the air. And number two, that there was no noise. Right. Now, there were reports prior to the, the witness statements in Phoenix, you know, just north of Phoenix. There were reports that there was a whooshing sound associated with it but the the reports of it being silent way outnumber those reports not that they're wrong and a lot of people will say they were in a in a quieter part mm-hmm. of the state um or they were further out of the main city you well, I mean look i've you know i've been standing in you know downtown nashville and i could hear a plane going over yeah you know,
0: you can hear anything that's hovering too. helicopter right. is loud.
1: So I, I don't know that I, I put a lot of stock in the fact that some people said it was it was making a whooshing noise. That that could have been the wind, mm-hmm. you know, especially if the wind is rushing past this huge object in the sky. Um, but, you know, Adam's right. We don't we don't make an aircraft that will do the things that this apparently did
0: that we know of.
1: Yeah. And not not everybody not everybody was able to visualize a craft. You know, the, they all saw the lights, but they weren't necessarily able to make out a craft. But many, many were and some people even said that it it blacked out the stars. That's how they could tell that between the lights they couldn't see they could see stars over here, stars over there, between the lights no stars, indicating that there was a solid structure linking the lights together.
0: Right, right. And, you know, so then the other the other option that you have to look at, if you're not going to, if we're going to say, okay, it's not UFO, it's not extraterrestrial UFO, it's not a military. Female extraterrestrial? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a military plane. Not a US military plane, then could it be another government's or a private entity's plane? Yeah. But then we go back to the exact same thing we were talking about with the US military. Elon Musk must be a time traveler. Right. But why would, <laughs> but that, that, even, even if Elon Musk was a time traveler, which he probably is, um, why would he fly it? over phoenix if he's trying to develop this in secret right no other entity would you know if you want to talk about another government or anything they're not going to fly it over a populated city and risk everybody seeing (laughs) their their craft yeah so as with all the officials and everybody else matt and i do not have a solid answer on what this is we are highly intrigued by this and We would love to see even more research done even this far after the fact to figure out what this is or what this was, but we don't have any definite answers. So we do as we do all the time. We'll defer it to you guys and see what you guys think. Do you think it was extraterrestrial UFO? Do you think it was our military? Do you believe the... Thing, that it was flares, which I'm going to put a foot down, and if you tell me it was flares, I'm going to be angry. Yeah, flares is the new owl. Yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> maybe they lit owls on fire and threw them out of a warthog and said, "Have at it," you yeah. know. But they attached them with strings so they couldn't float away from yeah. each other. Yeah.
1: So anyway, like Adam said, let us know what you think. This this was really this was really incredible to research i mean just listening i mean like like adam said there's not a lot of written documentation about this but there's plenty of video and uh you know if if you've got 30 minutes or an hour and a half you know you can find one that that will they'll interview the key players mm-hmm. so listen hopefully. to what they have to say you'll be surprised at how credible these people really are
0: absolutely hopefully y'all understand now my fascination with this case for so long.
1: Yeah. So anyway, hope you enjoyed, uh, our take on the Phoenix lights and let us know what you think. Um, but please go check out our website. Uh, it's dot com. and on our website, you can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. You can order our merchandise. Uh, you can listen to the show and you can become a patron and thank you to everyone. Uh, who has done that and donated to the show. Um, like we say, you know, Adam and I, we, we've got some big things coming. We've, 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 we've put this Patreon money to good use. I promise. And, uh, you, you may notice, uh, some, some, some improved quality from graveyard. Tales (laughs) Coming up in the next couple of months. Um, but go and rate and review us on iTunes, please. It gets us up the charts. And it allows people to find us much, much easier. Um, Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and go get in our Facebook group. When you want to discuss something about a show topic, when you want to give your ideas or opinions, the Graveyard Tales Facebook group is where you do it. Absolutely. um, We hope y'all enjoyed this as much as Adam and I enjoyed researching it. And uh, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.